The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Thanks so much for joining us. Today's episode is full of insights from Tom Avanellis. It is clear that Tom is thinking deeply about blueberries as a business and as an investment, but also through the lens of sustainability and culture. But before we dive into things with Tom, it's time once again for the crop report. We've been having a good time recording these each week. There's always important information shared and plenty of personality to go with it. So here once again is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from those in the field. Today you'll hear from Rex Schultz in Michigan, Jason Smith in British Columbia, Denny Doyle in New Jersey, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Doug Kramer in Oregon. This report was recorded on August 12th, 2020. Hi, this is Rex from uh, Michigan. Right now we are in the southern part of Michigan. We're uh, pretty much finished with all of our mid-season second pick of the blue crop, and we're in the first pick of Elliott's here. Uh, Elliott's look really good in size and volume as both. And uh, the Aurora and Liberty, the last call, they, they seem to take a little bit of hit on the uh, frost damage back in April as well. We're beginning our first round of uh, machine for process, so everything's running good on this end. The only concern in both north and south here is that second pick sizing seems to be a little bit smaller. We have a lot of volume, and if we get some sizing with them, then we'll have a good second round on our late varieties. Everyone is looking here pretty much for an average crop, average season this year, and that's what I have for Michigan. Good morning, uh, Jason Smith, British Columbia, Canada. Well, we've been experiencing some cooler weather the last number of days here, but heading into Sunday, Mother Nature is gonna let us know that summer is not gone. We're supposed to get up to around 32 or so uh, Celsius. Second pick blue crop happening, uh, Duke pretty much wrapped up. Uh, third pick Rika. I think a lot of the draper has, has been harvested and interestingly enough um, Valor which is one of the newer varieties you know some of that is getting harvested right around now you know and even four or five days ago and it, it looked to pick pretty good so late season stuff. Elliot I think in the eastern valley probably about a week away maybe, maybe a little bit more and you know some of the other like later ones like aurora more of the center of the valley probably not for about two weeks until uh, that starts getting harvested so overall production levels are down it, it's still too early to get a real sense of where we're going to end up at but uh you know the the duke numbers are definitely down from from last year and and i think even previous uh 2018 they're they're down from that as well uh heard there's some damage or had been some damage in in the elliott crop so varying reports from really good fields to down 40 percent across the valley so it's, it's pretty hard to get a good idea where we're going to end up numbers wise at this point 
Hi, this is Denny Doyle from the state of New Jersey. Our state at this time is really wrapping up. We just had a little bit of late variety cleanup. Very few growers are, are approaching or about ready to finish in the next few days. Weather here has been hot and muggy, uh, not all that unusual. Where the attention now uh, will will start to focus for the New Jersey growers, you know, we're, we're trying to get some information on where our frozen market is. Uh, Primarily, you know, these calls are mostly about fresh, but, you know, our frozen market is very important to us. And, you know, we're just trying to get a sense of where our volume's going to be this year uh, overall in the United States so that um, we can start, you know, negotiating and, and doing our sales. Uh, so that's our report, Casey. I'm Brian Sakuma from the state of Washington, uh, the eastern Washington side of the state is uh, just finishing up their mid-late varieties like Draper, Liberty. They're just starting their late season varieties. They're probably 85 to 90 percent finished on that side. On the west side, we're just starting the mid-late varieties, uh, Liberty, finishing up on Drapers. We've been fairly cool and This weekend, we're expecting some higher temperatures. Uh, Right now, a lot of the the crop is going into the freezer. It seems like volume for fresh is uh, starting to come off its peak. And right now, it's too early to tell where we're going to end up in regards to final production in our area anyway. Uh, We're seeing that Maybe some of the mature fields are down a bit, but that may be offset by some of the newer plantings. So this is Doug Kramer from Oregon. We've had some pretty favorable weather in the last week, and we've got through a lot of our harvest. We're through the early and the, the mid-season varieties. We're on to our late-season varieties, which uh, include Elliot, Aurora, and Last Call. Denny was talking about the percentages go fresh and process. In Oregon, we typically put about 45% of our blueberries into the fresh market and 55% go process. This year, with favorable marketing conditions, that could change a little bit and we might have a little more fresh and a little less process, but I wouldn't expect those numbers to change a lot in this area. That's all I got for today, unless somebody has questions. Doug, this is Denny. I'm just so jealous of your weather. I mean... Denny, we live and grow blueberries in God's country. And why you guys decide to do uh, it in New Jersey, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, you remember President Reagan when he pronounced uh, New Jersey as the capital, blueberry capital of the world. So um, there you go. Thanks again to our growers that provide this information every week. We record these crop reports on the same day the podcast is released, and I always enjoy hearing about what's happening with our growers around North America. But now it's time to turn our attention over to today's guest, Tom Avanellis. Tom is a founder and managing partner at Agriculture Capital. 
an investment fund that invests in permanent cropland midstream assets to create customer-driven, appropriately scaled, vertically integrated, regenerative farming enterprises to grow, pack, and market high-value produce. Prior to agriculture capital, Tom harnessed his expertise in table grapes, blueberries, and citrus to grow a world-class marketing enterprise, Homegrown Farms, into one of the largest organic produce marketing firms in California. Tom also co-founded Agricare, a farm management services and technical consulting company with nearly 40 years of experience in agriculture. Tom is one of the foremost experts on sustainable and organic agriculture at scale in the United States. Tom, thank you for joining the business of blueberries. Oh, yeah, it's been my passion for many, many years. So with all of the things that you know we just listed off there in the introduction, Talk to me a little bit about where Tom's spending most of his time these days. Well, I'd love to tell you it's not behind a computer screen or on conference calls, but uh, with COVID, that's probably where most of it's evolved. But realistically, most of the time, if I had to take a look at what are the goals, it's how do we continually build a culture of delighting our customers every single time? Now, I know that may sound a little bit odd, but realistically, those of us in the blueberry business, we're in the food business. And we need to recognize that we as farmers, what we're nourishing and what we're growing, what we're so proud of is quality blueberries that are going to have to delight our customers consistently be successful. For those that are packing and handling the fruit, that same diligence and helping them understand that culture of what takes place. And for those at the packing houses that are packing and placing the clamshells to make sure that we get all those pieces right with cold chain and that detail, we're all intricately involved in this aspect of how do we deliver to the consumer, the housewives, the children, the families of the United States and across the world, a product that they're delighted every single time. And so that culture build, both within operations and even with the mindset of, of our investment team is critical because that's what will drive the long-term success of this business. That regardless of who it is, they've got to be delighted by what they're eating and what they're receiving and what a blessing to be a part of this industry. Absolutely. Well, and to that end, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, your background. You've been in the citrus business, the table grape business, and here we are together talking about the blueberry business. And I agree, I feel fortunate to be a part of this industry already. And yet your focus here is blueberries. What is it about those other agriculture categories that has helped inform how you've come together in the blueberry business or how you've come at the blueberry business specifically? I've got a great passion for all those areas because they've been part of our, our livelihood. But it's interesting is you're, you're asking, you know, how do I first get involved in blueberries? Well, it was actually in 1996. And uh, we were very large table grape growers at the time. And table grapes are going through one of their cycles of adjustment. And we're looking at what other crops could we be involved with? And ran into this gentleman that a few of us know by the name of Dave Brazelton at the Tulare County Farm Show. And he's got blueberry plants. He's talking about planting blueberries in California, which was almost comical at the time because nobody ever heard of it. And we were one of the first, I think, 10 growers to stick blueberries in the ground. And it's hard. It's crazy. Why did we make the decision blueberries? And you look at the mentality of the farmer. The reason we made decision blueberries were coming out of table grapes and we had 10-foot rows. And I didn't want to redo my irrigation system. So blueberries is going to fit better than trees at some time. Now, it's funny how little things like that drive some of the decisions that get made. And I can so vividly remember we planted three varieties you don't even hear of anymore, Georgia Jim, O'Neill, and Misty. And we would look at them every morning because if they were sick in the morning, they'd probably be dead by the afternoon. 
So our learning curve was tremendously steep because you couldn't convince me that you had to spend that much money to prep the ground in order to grow blueberries. Well, that's what started the journey originally. And it's interesting because if you'd asked me then, I'd say there's no way you could ever grow them organically. You're ever going to be able to scale them. But by 2005, nine years later, not only had we figured out the details behind operating, we were actually beginning to do organic conversions in California and found ways to grow them very successfully organically. Uh, it's a phenomenal crop, but it's a crop that requires tremendously meticulous care and stewarding and attention to detail with everything you do to be successful at it because it's extremely meticulous. Well, and, and I'm glad we're, we're here. That was my pivot. My smile was I was pivoting to us to this organic <laughs> conversation in our industry because I know you're passionate about it. You know, I know yes. a pillar of your, of your culture is built on it. Talk to me a little bit about your sense of consumer's interest in this. You know, it, it is this pillar for you, but it has to also be a return on investment. And you'd already brought up, which is what brought us here, is the idea that increasingly consumers are looking for making that healthy choice. And what information can you share? What, what drives you down that road, believing that the organic label or the organic production or that transparency of the production downline? Talk to me a little bit about that from... Uh, start to finish when it gets to the actual decision-making from a consumer standpoint on why this is important to you from a business standpoint and how you see that going forward? Well, I think it goes a little bit to a number of the core values that we have with agricultural capital, especially with uh, what we call it EATS, which is excellence, accountability, transparency, and stewardship. And uh, organics is really a foundation of, I think, transparency to the consumer. The consumer really wants to know what's in the food that they eat. Uh, the consumer this day and age will spend more time reading packaging and wanting to understand. They want to be connected to the grower. There is a growing appreciation for those of us that grow the healthy food that consumers are eating. That is a large reason why we're seeing the double-digit growth in organic. But I think that goes for both organic and conventional. I, I think that transparency and helping the, the consumer better know and connect to the land is positive for our industry. So is that about origin? Does, uh, and in your mind, does origin matter to the consumer on where it's grown as much as it is, you know, how it's grown? I think both. Part of the reason is I think that when you have the certifications you do with organic, they understand that there's practices you've gone through. Now, can you sure. ask the average consumer that's, that's buying organic, do, do they understand what those practices are? They don't but they know that it is more strictly regulated and audited and a defined process that falls under the systems of organic production. That's meaningful to them. Well, I know that, you know, there has been a lot of conversations, you know, people aren't aware of where this, where their blueberries are coming from and, and that there would be this opportunity to identify the source of origin in a, in a meaningful way that would help drive sales. The, flip side of that is that, you know, the belief that, that that kind of information doesn't make a difference in the minds of consumers. But what's your take on that? Should the industry have a concentrated effort in a unified approach to talking about where blueberries are grown? Because, you know, in my early tenure, it is what I think you said in the beginning, it's remarkable all of the places the blueberries come from. And, you know, it isn't like avocados or citrus or in my experience, flowers where the majority of everything everybody was experiencing was coming out of California. You know, you're talking about a really unique and, you know, like you described, family of states 
who have been doing this in, in a meaningful way for some time. So does it matter? Should there be some effort to coordinate telling the story about where blueberries come from? I think it does matter. And I think it matters because through transparency consumer, they do want to know where their food comes from. I think there's even bigger aspects in that. And we see that with a lot of what's going on in society today. Not only is it from the practice you employ, but also is what are the standards of ethical labor practice that are being uh, employed for these operations where the food comes from? All of these connected points, I think, are important to the consumer today. Uh, the younger generation of consumers are far more discerning about what they eat. It, it almost uh, evolves to the point at times that in the depth of their knowledge is really, I think, surprising in many aspects in terms of the depth of technology we have and data we have and how much research they'll, they'll look into something and where it comes from and, and who's involved with it and what's taking place. Our ability for traceback, our ability for different forms of informing the consumer about the grower, about the farm, about uh, the practices that take place, I think those are huge selling points to the consumer. And, and as much as anything else, they continue to align with the values that we have in the blueberry industry for I as a consumer am eating what's healthiest for me. You need to confirm how it's being grown so that I know that it's being grown in a manner that I know what I'm eating. And that communication, that information, and that knowledge, I think will continue to build consumers. As I said in the beginning, we have to delight our customer every single time. And that transparency helps delight that customer every single time. Well, and, and I know you participating in the spring meetings, you know, innovation was certainly the theme of what we're considering the next era. So the the blue wave that we talked about was really driving awareness for blueberries. And, and I think, you know, what you saw us uh, discuss in Washington, D.C. in March was the need for what you're describing is that next evolution of the industry is going to be built off of the innovation. You, you know, I think we all agree to your point that, you know, both frozen, fresh, and certainly a lot more work to be done in the other forms to help us uh, drive the category. But in many ways, that awareness is high. We're at the front of the grocery store. And in this most recent set of circumstances, we see frozen blueberries, you know, kind of flying off the shelf and into freezers at home, which has been great. But talk a little bit about innovation in your mind, thinking more specifically about what does Tom want to see innovation look like for the blueberry industry going forward? Well, I think innovation takes many avenues. And let, let's work back from what's the most important part of it. Am I delighting my customer every single time? And if we look at that as being the base with the quality standards that we need to set, be it fresh frozen, whatever else, that needs to be the platform for our focus and how we build. Now, we certainly recognize the pressures that are on the blueberry industry, issues around labor in the West Coast drought, regulations, these new COVID protocols, all of these details are significant in terms of how we operate. And so where do you put innovation in each of these different aspects? We've talked many years in terms of already the aspect of mechanization. It's one of the reasons why I believe of all the berry categories, our greatest opportunity can be in blueberries because it is the only of the berry categories that can be truly economically and efficiently mechanically harvested at this time. I say that with a caveat because there is a huge evolution in that innovation to do it well. 
and it evolves genetics, plant structure, the equipment itself, post-harvest handling, the technology at the packing house, and understanding that product and turn time to the consumer. All those pieces have to be in place to implement the, the technology. We've done the same thing with a significant investment in the Unitech packing equipment that we utilize in our facilities uh, at Sublimity outside of Salem, is the ability to segregate individual berries, look through that berry with infrared light to pick out microbruising, and separate that in order to still put up a extremely high-quality fresh pack with mechanically harvested fruit is an essential piece of this, how you put innovation into work in each segment of what you're doing. These are elements that from a grower standpoint through the process that we need to continue to put innovation in place. Well, and and I'm glad we're talking about this uh, in in some ways. Again, we just had uh, Brian and and Noel. uh, We had a a feature of the Harvester episode talking about some of the innovation that they're working towards, which I think speaks to what you're talking about. And it is incredible. Having had a chance to kind of walk on your farm with you just briefly recently, it was impressive to just see the scale at which you know, your operation is moving forward with the machine harvesting and certainly the hand picking. And, and maybe you can kind of just give us a sense of scale for your operations, you know, having started, you know, looking at this at a Tulare farm show to where you are today, you know, just give us a perspective on where you started and where you are today. Yeah, as, as you said, we started in the first planting was 25 acres of trying to keep half the plants alive most of the time. In the first years, if we, if we did a couple thousand pounds the acre, we thought we were doing pretty well. Today in California, we harvested a little over 5 million pounds this year, and we'll push over 33 million pounds out of Oregon. The, the teamwork and, and the family of businesses are, and I say family of businesses because, you know, with agricultural capital, people look at, well, the investment world is so, is it a negative? But I, I think the reality is, and the way that we look at it is, we're geared to have the capital to help with scale to create greater opportunities to both produce at scale, but also to support the small local growers in our process as we go forward also. We're doing this within our frozen operations for Firestone Pacific Foods where, you know, it's, it's a freezer that we're looking to continue growing more business for opportunities for the small and medium-sized grower, as well as our uh, packing operation at Sublimity that, by investing in that technology creates new opportunities for us to pack for, for other growers and marketers in this process to create new opportunities. And uh, we do look at the industry as a family, uh, a family that we need to support through how we, how we grow. It's like, is one of the key things that when we first became a part of USHBC, uh, that atmosphere was created recognizing there's many different factions from all over the country but the core value and passions that we have for blueberries and that, uh, that we have for those who are involved in the industry are working together is what will make us all prosperous in the long term. It's a togetherness needs to be our focus. Absolutely. And I think as we move forward here, we're going to have this opportunity to get together as an industry very differently than we ever have before. We're going to be meeting in a virtual environment this fall. And I, I know we're really appreciative of your company's support of helping us host this event. And I know that it's going to be different, right? I mean, this has been a very family-oriented experience every time we get together, very personal, great networking. But 
What's your hope of this fall? What's your sense of what this virtual opportunity presents for our industry to get together? And, and how do we try to maintain the, you know, the integrity of our family atmosphere when we're moving to this virtual environment? It's interesting. You know, when COVID first hit, I have to say that one of the greatest blessings for myself has been the fact that I'm not traveling all the time. Uh, and all of a sudden, when we're forced out of travel, how do we communicate? And it has forced us as, as industries and businesses to really optimize technology. It's always, I mean, it's been here already. We just haven't forced ourselves to have to utilize it. So I think by doing this, and one of my hopes is, as we make greater connectiveness with each other through these virtual connections, that we as an industry will continue to build on that. I do think there still can be a tremendous community through this process, but it's going to be very different. You know, the, the other one is so interesting uh, regarding the whole COVID situation is for years I've been trying to tell people we are an essential industry. Finally, the government came out and told us that. Right. That's uh, right. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and rightfully so. I, I, I know that we've seen a lot of effort on your company's part and others, teams of people who have uh, stood on the front line. And I know we talk a lot about frontline workers that uh, have helped keep things going during this unprecedented period of time. But I know your company has gone through a few tough experiences with, you know, the, the COVID-19. And, yeah. and I wanted to just see if you'd feel comfortable sharing a little bit about uh, the challenges that this season has presented and, and a little bit of what has kept you guys going through, you know, what has been a very difficult period. Yeah. Um, I guess it's emotional a little bit because we, within agriculture capital, we care so much about our teammates. And uh, we've had both at our packing facilities in California, uh, some tremendous challenges, but perhaps the one that's made the news most dramatically in the blueberry industry as far as some Pacific foods. And, uh, and I, I really have to hand it to Josh Heinerfeld, our, our CEO and his proactive approach to dealing with the issue where we had our, our first positive and then shut down over the weekend and got everybody tested. And lo and behold, we had 87 positives. The blessing of all that though was only one person overnighted in the hospital one night. 57 never had any of the symptoms, any symptoms at all. But uh, even though we were taking all the prudent steps that were aligned by CDC and the best of the information, we continue to realize how diligent you've got to be in the process. And it's helped us continue to fine tune our operations as far as separation of personnel. And one of the biggest ones, you need to certainly think about it, but is in the common areas, in the lunchrooms, uh, or things of this sort, the, the extra divisions that need to take place and the extra steps that need to be take, take place for separation and for facial coverings and, and that aspect of it. And certainly um, in all of these things, because it's such emotional and press it was not kind to us and I think even with all of the great um, communication training we've had over the years within USHBC you continue to realize that the media has their story already and they want to build on their story and uh, we as an industry just have to continue to be transparent try to work with everybody we can we can can work with in, in the process um, agriculture is truly an essential industry uh, it was very difficult for us being shut down for almost three weeks in this process. Uh, actually, longer we should have been, but it's the same thing of states and uh, counties and um, health departments and things of this sort. 
learning to how to work through ever-changing new criteria and new regulations was a learning curve for the county in which we operate and for the state also. So, I mean, all of this has been a very rapid learning curve for all of us. Uh, It has continued to make us better at all the things that we do, but it's put tremendous financial pressures on all the things we do too, because we operate very differently than we used to because of that. You realize the, the impact that these kind of things can have on your businesses and your operations. And we very much thank the support of the blueberry industry uh, and the support that they've given us through this and, and all of the, the kind notes and the reaching out to support and help has been, been wonderful. We are up and running and freezing and packaging and serving our customers and seeking to continue to let our customers in the process. But it was, uh, it's added some difficulty this year along with everything else in the industry. Well, and I know, again, you know, we all have this appreciation for what you've gone through and what all of the farms and the fields, I mean, you've got different aspects of it that you represent, which kind of connect all those dots. But, uh, you know, as you saw also in the challenge, also has been opportunity. And, And so, you know, with the little bit of time we have left here, focusing on that positive, I'd say that processing and the frozen blueberry business, right? And, and maybe you can kind of just give us a sense of what you've experienced. Part of the reason we pulled Nielsen data over the 13-week period after the shutdown was because we knew that nobody else would have eyes or insights or algorithms that were going to tell us what to do next and next. And, you know, the best we could do was try and call all the data that we could find that would help us understand, you know, the dynamics of the consumer and certainly the marketplace. And, and yet we've seen, you know, some pretty significant increases in frozen blueberries over those very many months. And how do you bring perspective to that change that we've seen in just such a short period of time and how many frozen blueberries are being consumed today? Well, I think the, the real positive out of this is uh, still the main driver for frozen blueberries is in the home. And with the changes taking place and, you know, I, I, it's, it's sad how hard it's hit the food service industry. Uh, and I feel for all of those who have lost their jobs or businesses are struggling because of it. But within the home, I think families are looking for what are quick, easy, healthy meals and opportunities. And I mean, to, for whatever, be it a dessert, to put, you know, to put some blueberries on a bowl of ice cream or to toss some in the blender with a banana uh, and have a, a, a healthy breakfast for your children. Uh, I think the aspect of now that families are having to be at home rather than this fast pace, I, I, I get the family up and, and somehow I've got to get them ready for school and, and I've got to get off to work that if I pour a bowl of cereal, it's great because I've got something, you know, I've got something to eat. Now it's like, what can we do that's healthy? And it's quick and easy. I'm going, to, I'm going to take blueberries and put them in the blender with a banana and an apple. And they've got a healthy uh, smoothie for breakfast and opportunity. And I think that step of culture change could be a tremendous driver for us in the frozen fruit business. I think the other thing that is the, the challenge for us in the industry now, too, and I think the opportunity is because people are eating at home more. What are some of the innovative recipes and other things that they're doing that are adding frozen blueberries into their mix? And the convenience of that, that you can grab a, a bag of frozen blueberries and I can make an enchilada casserole and pour blueberries in it and the uniqueness that it adds to that. Things yeah. that you wouldn't have thought of before becoming new opportunities. We've got to grow blueberries beyond just the blender. 
And as we do that, we create new opportunities in the long run for the entire frozen category, for the direct retail and for the, for the families at home. I still think the big, big growth opportunity is going to be is how do we get all different levels of frozen blueberries into other manufacturing areas? Freeze-dried just being one of them. I, uh, but there's a lot of different areas of this that we need to grow berry consumption into within from the frozen category or and or the processing category. Well, and I know you know we're focused on that program. I mean, we've made some changes just this year. USHBC for food service and looking at innovation as a theme, but innovation is uh, what you're talking about, kind of moving beyond the, the muffin and the pancake and trying to encourage chefs across the country to consider innovating the menu. And of course, global food manufacturing, you know, I just had a meeting this afternoon with our vice president, Alicia Adler, about the program going into 2021. So I'm excited. I see, you know, where you have opportunity that, you know, those doors that haven't been knocked down. And uh, I'm just really grateful for, you know, the time you've given us today to give us these insights. Uh, Is there anything else that we haven't discussed that you'd like to share before we go? I just think the long-term success of our business is going to be our ability to delight our customers every single time and to build a system of exceeding their expectations with the attention to detail of business. And as we just continue to look at better, faster, different ways of doing things, those aspects will help drive us in the long-term for success. All right. Well, this won't be our only conversation. Uh, I will look forward to our next uh, episode. Uh, and I really, again, you know, appreciate your leadership. You know, as a thought leader in our industry, I appreciate your support for our fall meetings. And I, and I look forward to continue to work with you and your companies and your families uh, in this business of blueberries. So thank you, Tom. Well, Casey, we just are so thankful for USHBC, for, for your and your entire team's leadership and guidance in this. And this is where we all collaboratively can make the success for this industry. Thank you for your leadership. All right. Well, thank you. you. Appreciate it. All right. As I hope you've heard already, our fall meetings have gone virtual. We'll be showcasing industry leaders and gathering up the most important people in innovation, marketing, genetics, health research, tech, and more. Plus, we'll be honoring USHBC's 20th anniversary and recognizing key industry leaders with a special celebration. So make sure you sign up to join us September 28th through October 1st. Registration is free thanks to our sponsor. So just head over to blueberryevents.org and register today. Well, I certainly appreciated the time we've had with Tom today. Uh, a few takeaways that I gathered from this great conversation was just Tom's commitment, passion, and vision for the culture of our industry, the culture for his company, and and how much culture really does make a difference, the investment that it takes into driving principles and encouraging those principles to drive decision-making and and, and certainly the conversations we had about that today. And, And I think also just, I was impressed that the connection for his relationship to the Blueberry industry started the Tulare Farm Show and, you know, going from a 25 acre investment to now pulling 33 million pounds out of Oregon alone is just remarkable. And of course, the optimism that we heard in his continued investment in the blueberry business, not only as as a family, as his family, but also as ag capital, uh, that, that he believes there's more that we can achieve. And I really appreciated the fine point he put on achieving those goals as individual companies, but also together. 
And he has been a great leader in both NABC and the USHBC in helping us uh, continue to evolve as an industry. So appreciate that time. But lastly, I, I really appreciated hearing him talk about the innovation ahead. Uh, he, he took it from the soil to the genetics to how we harvest it to optical sorters, you know, all the way through to the delight of consumers and how important that every step along the way that there isn't a, a place along that path that doesn't have the opportunity to experience innovation. And I think that just takes us to, you know, our hopes for this fall. So if you haven't registered, I would say that a lot of what we're hoping people gather out of the experience at our virtual event is uh, how can we help uh, drive vision along the lines of innovation for our industry? And so I'm excited about the speakers we're bringing. I'm excited about the panel discussions we'll have. I'm excited about the workshops that will be presented. And I hope you are too. I hope that, you know, we don't let not being able to get together in person prevent us from having a great time together planning for the future of the business of blueberries. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the business of blueberries. 